We are continuing our series on kingdom living, learning about life following the King, following Jesus, life dependent on God and His grace, and the real uh, radical difference that that makes. So we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew, this wonderful sermon given by Jesus on kingdom living. A real stark contrast to life otherwise, life in the kingdom. And we're making our way through, and we've come to verses 19 through 24, where the Lord teaches us about handling money. So the title of the message this morning is Smart Money, Learning to Handle Our Money the Kingdom Way, Depending on the King, Walking in His Truth. And as we prepare to Listen to the King as we prepare to learn from Him and by His grace have our lives changed. Uh, and that's why we come here ultimately. Uh, we come here to worship, to enjoy the Lord, to live in Him, and in that to, to see our lives transformed and changed, to be more and more like Him, more and more full of His joy, His kingdom life. So let's pray and ask Him to speak to us as we Prepare to listen to him from his word. Lord, we thank you that you have come, that you are the king, and you've brought the kingdom. And the kingdom is here and already having its way, changing our lives and expanding. And Lord, it will expand, and then there will be one day you you will return and finish your work of the kingdom. And oh, how sweet that will be when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And Lord, we, we are learning to love you and love your ways, and we thank you. We ask you, Lord, uh, as we come before your word, would you speak to us? Lord, we are, are not worthy to receive you, yet you have shed your blood for us and risen again to give us new life. And that is our confidence, not ourselves, not our ability, not our preparation or anything like that. It's you and your grace. So we look to you. We want to hear from you, Jesus. So by your Spirit, would you come and speak? Would you use me, Lord? Um, I'm, I'm nothing. I can't offer anything of real value. But you can, and you can use one like me. And you can open all our ears to hear you. So do this and be glorified. Help us to see your kingdom. May your kingdom come through the preaching and listening of your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 19. Of chapter 6. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve Two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Matthew six nineteen to 24 words from our Lord. We're learning from the Lord about kingdom living. And in this section, uh, among a number of places in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about money. Uh, he, he talked about earlier, remember, on giving and not, doing, not giving before others to impress them, but giving with our eyes on the Lord. And later he'll talk about things related to this. He actually talks about in the Gospels, we have recorded uh, Jesus speaking about money a number of times. 15% of, of all the things he says are about money. More than the, uh, the, the amount of times he talks about heaven or hell combined, he talks about money. Jesus isn't afraid to talk about this topic. That, being honest, I'm afraid to talk about it because for many reasons in our culture, the abuses and so forth. But Jesus isn't afraid to talk about this, to address this topic. Why, why do you think that's the case? Why is he unafraid to talk about it, and talk about it so much. Well, in this passage today, we see part of the reason why he's unafraid. He wants us to know some truths. He cares enough about us and about the kingdom to address this very important subject matter. He realized how important money is for us and for the kingdom. He calls us in this passage to make smart choices with our money because our future, our hearts, our lives, and our very faith are all at stake. All these things, our our future, our hearts, our lives, our faith, our relationship with God are dependent on how we handle our money. That's a shocking proposition, but that is what Jesus says in this passage, money is no minor matter. And how we view it and handle it has everything to do with our spirituality. Now, we as a church, don't, we don't require our members to give. We have no requirement that says you must give, absolutely. We don't require... A tithe, some churches will require members to to give and will require members actually to commit to giving 10% of their income. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but but our understanding of how grace works, our understanding of how uh, God calls us to give would would alter that. So we have a different view. We, we, We don't call people to do that. We ask people to give freely and to have it be grace motivated. And we believe that's important. We believe that's a very important principle. But the problem with that approach sometimes can be that we as God's people take a very light view of how we handle our money and think, hey, it's all by grace, so whatever. You know, I'll I'll give a little, I'll give a lot sometimes, whatever. You know, I'll just give whatever I feel like giving at a given time. But that's not what Jesus is saying here, is he? He's not saying just, it doesn't really matter. Give what you want when you want. Being grace-motivated and grace-driven does not mean having a license to do whatever we want with our money. It's very important what we do with our money. It affects all these things. And so the Lord loves us enough and is bold enough because He lives to please the Father to go right after this topic, to call us to be wise, to make smart choices because of the effect of how we handle our money. 
It can even be determinative in our spirituality. It can determine what our relationship with God is like. And so he calls us to make smart choices in this passage. The choices for us are between two locations, two focal points, and two masters. The choices are between two locations, two focal points, and two masters. I think that's in your notes, so you can follow along and take notes as it serves you. So let's talk about these choices, the two locations, two focal points, and two masters. First, two locations. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He calls us to, to not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. That's kind of a different way of speaking. We don't normally talk about, you know, I'm going to the bank today to lay up for myself some money in my bank account. We don't say that. The word lay up for yourselves treasure seems a little funny. Maybe another way to say it, um, and the, the literal way to, to, interpret, to translate this phrase is do not treasure for yourselves treasures. That's what it says in, uh, literally from the original language. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures. It's, maybe we would say do not hoard your money on earth. Do not acquire stuff on, on earth. Don't make the temporary things of earth what life is about. Jesus is not saying in this passage not to have anything, not to have any treasures, not to, not to have any material possessions. He's really calling us to put our possessions, to use our material possessions in a way that the deposit ultimately is in heaven, not on earth. So don't treasure up for yourselves. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The difference is where you put it not having it or not. He's not saying, you know, just sell all your possessions necessarily, walk around in a bathrobe and slippers begging or something like that. He's calling us to be wise in what we do with our money, with our stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff and things. God has made all things and they are all good and they are good when they're used in their proper place. It's not a question of the stuff. It's a question of where we locate our treasure. We all have two choices. Where to store our treasures. And when he says treasures here, he means literally money and possessions. So uh, we, could, you know, we could make that figurative and say, well, it's relationships and it's the things. No, that, in this passage it means literally your money. Your, your money and your possessions. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but Treasures, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he says, why? Why we're to do that? He gives us reasons. The first reason is that if you lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, you'll, they'll be subject to loss. That this earth and its systems and its ways is subject to corruption. So moth, moths eat things, rust affects things, thieves break in and steal. The, the, Situation of our earth is such that it's corrupted and it's not permanent. And if you invest your, cell, your treasures in stuff of this earth, if your real treasure and where you really want to spend your money is in things, those things will pass away. They will corrode, moths will eat them, thieves will break, break in and steal. They'll, they'll not last. Well, they might last a while, and that's part of the temptation is they do last for a little while. 
But eventually, they're gone. Eventually, we don't have them. We, we've seen ourselves in, a, in a, almost a depression as a country. And I think it's a testimony to the impermanence of treasures. And if you put all your money in the stock market 15 years ago, you've lost quite a bit of money. So Jesus says, don't put your money where, where it won't last. To invest our money in the things of this world and, and to, to make it our treasure is, is like investing our money in ice sculptures in July. It may be nice for a little while, it might be beautiful for a little while, but it is not going to last. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't buy ice sculptures in July. There's better investments out there. In particular, investing in heaven. Put your deposits in heaven. Now, in this passage, Jesus doesn't talk as much about the specifics of how we do that. And that might be a question you're wondering now. Well, well, you know, how do you do that? And we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's plenty in Scripture that, that instructs us in how to invest our money, how to do it so that we're investing in heaven. We've talked about that. We've talked about the reward and using our money and using our lives to live for that reward from the Father, to be, uh, to be of service to Him here, to invest in the things that He's most interested in, and that uh, as we do that, those things last forever because His will is done, and He does cause fruit to come in, in His ways and His kingdom. And when we invest in that, there's a permanent reward that we get. And so, there, so there's... Many ways we can do that. Jesus doesn't get into the specifics here as much. He wants to address our understanding and our motives to giving. And so he says, don't store your treasures on earth, but in heaven. Heaven is the place where God dwells. It's the place of His presence. It's where the infinite and invisible and all-glorious God dwells. And one day, very soon actually, heaven will come to earth and God will make a new heaven and a new earth. And He will dwell here on the earth. Heaven and earth will be together. The place of God's presence, His eternal, infinite, glorious presence will be here in space and time with us forever. Heaven is that place. and It's the place where He abides now and it's that future place on the new earth. And when we use our money and our possessions for the kingdom and for the kingdom purposes, we are in a sense putting our money in a bank account that's kept in heaven. And we will draw on that bank account in the new creation. There will be reward and blessing. And we've been talking about that, what it looks like. And it comes in many forms. It comes in our deepened love and enjoyment of God. It comes in, comes in realizing that God used us for eternal and worthy causes. It comes in seeing the people that were affected by how we lived, how we invested our money, there with us in heaven, enjoying eternal glory in God's presence. Those are some of the ways that we see that reward. That is worth far more than any return you'll ever get on the earth. Stuff here is subject to decay. The moths eat stuff. I don't think I've had a wool sweater for more than 10 years because of this reality. No matter how much we try, eventually... A moth gets in there, eats a hole in my sweater, one of my sweaters. Uh, I don't have a car that's lasted longer than a certain amount of time. They, they rust. They're not as bad at rusting now as they used to be. Um, that's actually what I used to do for a living. I used to do research for the 
government on rust, believe it or not, and I can tell you more about that later. But rust is a reality. (laughs) Stuff rusts. And there's injustice and thievery that goes on. So whether it's somebody mugging you and taking your money on the street or somebody from Wall Street with a, a Ponzi scheme stealing your life savings, the reality is money will not last here. So the Lord calls us to invest where it will last. You know, uh, sometimes the world mocks this idea that you're living for heaven. And it may seem kind of silly. There's a phrase uh, that comes from that mocking. It actually comes out of a hymn called Pie in the Sky by and by. Have you heard that? Pie in the Sky by and by. And it's usually... Uh, quoted in a derisive way, like, you know, you're just believing about in pie in the sky by and by. And it's, it's referring in, uh, to the heaven, basically, and living for heaven. And that, that mindset would say, you know, why, why do this? Why invest in heaven? There's the here and now. And, and you should, should make it all about the here and now and not about the future. Now, boy, there's a lot of qualifiers here. Uh, the Scriptures don't present these things as two opposing things, heaven and then the earth, and they have nothing to do with each other. When we invest in heaven, it has a lot to do with the here and now indeed. But even more importantly, it has to do with the, the eternal reality that is coming soon. And let's us make no mistake about it. People may say pie in the sky by and by. The reality is that when we are there in heaven, if we have trusted in Christ, received the gift of forgiveness and life in Him, when we've been there 10,000 years in His presence, which life is going to seem like pie in the sky by and by? That one or this one? It'll be the other way around. We will recognize, you know what, that life was so short. And it it seems but a dream, and now it's gone. And Lord willing, that's in heaven we realize that. But if, if we have lived in this life not running to Jesus... We will find that we will be somewhere else for 10,000 years. We'll be apart from God's presence in eternal exile. And God wants no one to be there. He wants all to turn and to trust Christ, to receive forgiveness and life in Him. But either way, no matter where we are, when it's been 10,000 years, this is the life that will be the dream that went like that. And we will recognize the wisdom of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. Make no mistake. As sure as the miracle of creation exists, and as sure as the miracle of His resurrection from the grave has occurred, there is an eternal future that is coming very soon. And we are wise to invest in that eternal reality and not be so caught up in the here and now that we are foolish with our finances. Again, when we use our finances for eternal purposes, it will indeed affect the here and now. There's never that in Scripture. But the orientation will be entirely different than living for the treasure here. Can you imagine, if you can with me, that you somehow get sucked into a time machine, a time, a time warp, and you get sent back to the year 1900, and it's a one-way time machine. You're stuck back there. That's life for you now. You live in 19, the year 1900. And so you go get a job. You work a job, and back then it was about 100 bucks a week is what people were paid, about one-tenth of what they're paid now. 
If you had 100 bucks a week, would you, would you use your money to go out and buy the latest gadgets? Actually, we have some gadgets here to show from the year 1900. We have that to show. One of these nice units, you probably would want to buy one of these. It's a talking machine. You put these discs on it, and it rotates, and you hear music, and people talk. You, would you want to spend your money on one of these? Now, you're going, you've gone back. You know what's ahead. You know, actually, you know what's going to happen over the next 100 years. You know, you know what's going to happen in terms of, of technology and medicine and things like that. You know that the stock market is going to increase 9% on average every year for the next 100 years. And if you do the math, it's 1.09 to the 100th. It's a big number. About 6,000-fold increase over 100 years. You know that. And you're getting 100 bucks a week. Now, you need to meet your needs. You need to eat, right? You need to have clothing. But, but you're gonna buy, are you going to spend your money on things like this or the next one? In 1900, these were the hot items. One of these sewing machines. You pump it with your foot. It's really cool. It's in a... And the gold, the gold trim is the best. If you want the real good one, you get the gold trim one, not the plain one. You know, you want high. I mean, I mean, you know, you deserve it. Go for the high option, the gold trim sewing machine. Or next, next slide, some other. This unit is wonderful. It'll transform your life. Your washing machine. It's an, it's an automatic washing machine. You don't have to do hardly anything except feed it through the ringer and change it and everything like that. But it's wonderful. Get one of these guys. We got some other little nifty things. Hey, these fine men's shirts. This is from the Sears catalog, 1900. You want these shirts. These are great. The plaid one in particular is very in right now. And these dresses, ladies, beautiful dresses that you would want to buy. Would you do that? Would you spend your money if you had gone back in time? Well, you you wouldn't. You would. Use some of your money to meet needs. But I know that you would be wise, and you would probably think, boy, if I could just take $20 of that $100 per week and invest it, what a difference will it make for my great-grandchildren? You know, if you just took $20 once and put it in something back then, and, and it stayed in compounding for 100 years, how much it would be worth after 100 years? If I do the math right. $120,000. If you put $20 every paycheck in and did that for for 20 years, I think it is, after 100 years, it would be worth $22 million. Now, the fact is, the problem is, is is we don't know that and, and don't do it, but we do know that God has promised to give us a return on our investments if we deposit them in heaven. There will be a return, and it will be sure, and it will not be subject to a stock market crash. There's so many factors in the stock market, timing and all that, you may not make 9% depending on how you invest it. But on average, that's what it was. Randy Alcorn says in his good book, uh, The Treasure Principle, which is this month's recommended book, he says about money, he says, you can't take it with you, but... You can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead by investing in the kingdom and being wise. And so Jesus says, locate your treasure in heaven, not on earth. Locate it in heaven where there will be a sure and certain and eternal return. And then he says something else next. Not only does the location matter, 
because of the return and the permanence of your investment in heaven. But he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's two locations. The location affects your future. The location also affects your heart. Where your treasure is affects your future, and it affects your heart. For the sake of your heart, invest your treasure in the kingdom, in heaven. And we know how this works. We understand where we put our money is where our attention goes. And we can, it's just fascinating actually what we can do. You can invest in anything and you will find yourself suddenly interested in that thing. You could choose to invest in something like asparagus futures. And believe me, all of a sudden you would be an expert on asparagus. If you poured all your life savings into asparagus, are there asparagus futures? I don't know. Somebody out here might know what futures are or not, aren't, but they probably are asparagus futures. But all of a sudden, you're going to become an expert on asparagus. You're going to know all about asparagus, when it comes, and how fast it grows, and what parts of the world it is. And you're, I mean, you're going to become Mr. and Mrs. Asparagus because you're, you're investing in asparagus futures. There, there is this reality that where we invest our money and our finances and our possessions, that's where our heart will go. And if you invest it in things of this world, that's where it will go. Nothing wrong with asparagus futures, by the way, or whatever. That, that can be a wise way to invest your money for kingdom purposes. But we want it to be for kingdom purposes. We want our treasure to be in heaven because that will lead our heart. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. This is really an amazing statement Jesus is making here. He's saying that where you put your money, there your heart will be also. It's almost like he's saying, almost like he's saying, he doesn't say this, but it's almost like saying you can buy a heart for the kingdom. Almost like he's saying you can buy a heart for the kingdom. How? How would he be saying that? Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. So do you want a greater heart for God? A greater heart for the things of the kingdom? Do you want more excitement about what he's doing in the earth? Do you want to be more passionate about the gospel, more passionate about the church, more passionate about his glory, then invest your finances in those things. Give your money to the mission. Give your money to overseas the gospel being preached. Give your money to your local church. Give your money to worthy Christian causes, and you will find your heart drawn there. For the sake of your heart, we need to locate our investments in the right place. And if we want our heart to be for God and His things, the things of the kingdom, then we must locate our finances there. And if we don't locate our finances there in a wise way, and I don't have time to talk about all those things. We'll touch on it a little bit in a bit. But if you do that in a wise way, you will find your heart there. And if you don't do it in a wise way, you will have challenges to your heart. Your heart will go after where your money is. Jesus is kind and wise to tell us this, to make the choice where we locate our money for the sake of our hearts, for the sake of our future. Two choices, two locations, two focal points is next. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? 
Now, this one might seem a little out of place. All of a sudden, Jesus is talking about vision and eyes, and how does that relate to money? Well, it was because they had an understanding and an expression in that day that a good eye was someone who was generous. Someone who had a good eye was a generous person. Someone who had a bad eye was someone who was miserly. Uh, we have a couple of verses from Proverbs to put up. It's right in Scripture. This is from uh, Proverbs, and it's in a translation that's very literal. The Young's literal translation, an older, but very literal translation. So it's word-for-word translation. It says, Proverbs 28:22, Troubled for wealth, or anxious about money, Troubled for wealth is the man with an evil eye, and he knoweth not that want doth meet him. Wouldn't it be funny if we always talk like that? He, he, knows, he doesn't know that want, that poverty awaits him. That's what it's saying. So, but trouble for wealth is the man with what? An evil eye, a bad eye. Then uh, the opposite, Proverbs 22, the good of eye, the man, the person, the man or woman with a good eye, he is blessed, for he hath given of his bread to the poor. So the good-eyed person is a generous person. The evil-eyed person is a, is a miserly person. And so Jesus is continuing to talk about how we handle our money. And he's, he's calling us to really fix our eyes on the right things. And, and this expression makes sense if we, if we realize that what we fix our eyes on determines how we live. And if we have our eyes fixed on the kingdom and on blessing others, we're generous and, the, and that will characterize our life. If we have our eyes fixed on money and acquiring wealth, then we will be miserly, and that will affect our life. That's why Paul tells the young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 to instruct people with money this, this way. He says, uh, 1 Timothy 6, we have it to show, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes, in a sense, not to, to, to fix their eyes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We're to fix our eyes on God, not on our riches, and thus prevent ourselves from being miserly. And it's interesting in this passage, as Jesus instructs us, he says, he says, if the eye is the lamp of the body, what you fix your eye on will affect your whole body, your whole life. It will characterize you. What you set your hopes on, what you look to, that will determine who you are. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of lights. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you have fixed your eyes on material possessions, if that is what your life is about, you're, you're letting darkness in. Darkness defines your life and affects who you are. And Jesus says if that is what comes in through your eye, then how Great is that darkness. As I prepared this section, I, I thought of probably the, the most obvious example. It's a fictional example to us of someone with a bad eye. That's Ebenezer Scrooge from the Christmas Carol. We know about him. He's a, he's a miser. He has a bad eye. And if you know Dickens' story, he didn't start out that way. He started out differently. But as a young man, at some point, he determined that that life was about getting rich and staying rich and doing whatever you need to. He fixed his eyes on money, and it changed who he was. He became a miser. He became a miserable old man. We know the rest of the story. 
uh, that you know the, the spirits, the different spirits of Christmas came and changed him, and in his eye became good. He became a generous man. Ebenezer Scrooge is a great example, and I think we can be like Ebenezer Scrooge. The difference is that we are better at public relations often than Ebenezer Scrooge is. In other words, we know enough, we have enough street smarts to know it's just going to hurt business and hurt life if I'm a, a Scrooge all the time. So we can still live like Ebenezer, still live for material things, but kind of careful to cover ourselves, careful to look good, careful to get along, careful maybe to even appear generous at times for the sake of of public relations. And we can be like Ebenezer. And I think a way to know if there's an Ebenezer inside is to ask yourself, how do you respond when your investments tank? Now, there's a, you know, a normal sadness, of course, but, but, but does it really affect your life? Do you find your very identity affected? When things don't turn out, how about some of the middle-aged folks? This is, can be sometimes the reason for middle-aged, and I'm middle-aged, middle-aged crisis. We had all these dreams, all these things we wanted to do when we were younger, in high school, college, in our 20s. We were going to ha- be this in business. We were going to make this happen. And then you hit middle age and you find out, you know what, I guess those dreams are not going to happen. Not the way I thought and when you reach that place, do you find your, your identity at stake? And I would submit that if that's the case, there's an Ebenezer that dwells within. There's an eye fixed on material possession. There's an eye that's defined itself and success in life by what you have or what you don't have. And so when you don't have it, you have a middle-aged crisis. Ebenezer can be inside and not be shown on the outside. And Jesus says this is, this is foolish and a poor way to live. We need to fix our eyes on something better than materialism and money, on the kingdom. And it will not disappoint. And, and, and it's a common thing to go through depression and struggle in middle age as we face these realities in our own heart. And God in his goodness isn't looking to kind of you know, grind us in on that. He wants to use those times and those struggles to say, come to me. Find your life in me. Allow me, even in your 40s or 50s, to redefine your life mission. Redefine success for you. And call you to invest in something that will last forever. We have two focal points. We can be fixed on the kingdom or on materialism. We have two locations for our finances. We have Two masters as well to choose. That's what Jesus says next. No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The picture here is of a servant or slave under a master. And in those days, if you were such a person, that master had total control over you, could determine how you, how you lived your life, what you did day to day. Probably the the way to think about it for nowadays, since uh, thank God we don't have uh, slavery and things, and we don't have indentured servanthood either, which was like slavery, uh, is to think what would it be like if you had two jobs, two 60-hour-a-week jobs, and one one year one job was 60-hour 
a week, 60 hours a week as a short order cook. And the other job was 60 hours a week as a dental hygienist. Could you do that? 60 hours a week doing each There's only 168 hours in the week, right? So you'd have to have to sleep like four hours a night or no, six hours a night. Maybe you could do it. But could you? It'd be crazy. And to do two jobs that are like totally different, a short order cook and a dental hygienist, I mean, what would that be like? You'd come into your, your dental hygienist job smelling like grease or something, and it just wouldn't work. There'd be no way. Your, 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 your energies would be divided. A 60-hour-a-week job is an all-consuming job. You need that extra time to rest and take care of some of the other things. There's no way to do two jobs like that. That it would be, Each of those jobs by themselves would be all-consuming. Well, that's what it's like if we think we can serve God in money. We have two jobs, living for money and making money and acquiring possessions and promoting that and living for God, and there's just no way. Both of those things are all-consuming. To follow God, to live for Him is all-consuming in a good way. It's a blessing. It's good. It's rich. But it is all-consuming. There's not an ability to do it partially. And we deceive ourselves if we think so. We might be able to come to church on a Sunday and pretend like we're living for God, but, but our hearts aren't truly there. And, in, 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 and I would never want you to do this, but you know, in some ways it makes sense. Just go fishing or something on a Sunday. If, if you really want to live for money, it's just, we're just playing games with ourselves. But even better than going fishing is to hear the invitation to live for the job that matters most. And this job you can do in those other jobs and in everything, to live for the Lord, to enjoy Him, to serve Him, to bless others in His name. That by far is the most worthwhile. And the investment in that will have an eternal return. And it will have a temporal one as well. We are called to one Master, God Himself. We must choose between two Masters. So Jesus gives us wonderful wisdom in this section of Scripture. He calls us to be smart with our money, to choose the right master, the right focal point, the right location for our treasures, because our faith, our very lives, our hearts, our future are all at stake in this. So let's talk a little bit as as I finish up on what we do specifically. How do you do this? Because Jesus is, is addressing here the mindset and the motivation. And that's very important for us, to, to have a right mindset, to have a right motivation. And I trust that as we've gone through this, uh, that God has perhaps spoken to you and, and given you a sense of, yes, that's right. I want to do that. I want to, I want to invest. I want to make the right choice among these two alternatives. I want to be smart with my money. He doesn't go into the specifics here. He does elsewhere and, and in the rest of Scripture. There's lots to say about how to do it. Let me just cover quickly what that looks like so that, so that you are served. Because I want you to, to, as you hear from the Lord on this, to have your mindset and your motivation altered or refreshed in these truths. But ultimately, I want you to walk in the fruit of this. The, the blessing is in the doing, not the knowing. The blessing, the knowing is important, but the blessing is in the doing, the results, the fruitfulness. God has blessing for us as we walk this out. So um, to sum up, to look at how the scriptures call us to use our finances, there are 
I think, three general categories that God calls us to. First, our money and possessions are about worship. The first priority for our money and possessions is worship. God is gracious to us. He provides finances for us. He blesses us. He pours blessing on top of blessing. He's been good to us. And he calls us to know him and enjoy him and live for him. And our money, first off, it's not our money. It comes from him. It's a gift from him. And so we take our money and we return a portion in worship. We can call that consecration. I'm going to have three C-type words to remember this. It's about worship. We'll call it consecration. Secondly, it's about taking care of daily needs and regular needs. So we need to eat. We need to have housing. We need to have clothing. Uh, We need to provide for our families. And there are daily needs. Not only ones that are present now, but future daily needs. So the second category is for care. Consecration, care. And then the third category is what I call kingdom. Beyond the worship that we do with our finances, beyond the care we provide, there are kingdom opportunities. Now, the kingdom, when we, when we consecrate and when we care, that's part of the kingdom. That isn't separate. But there are kingdom opportunities we have as well to invest in, to see the gospel go forward, to see churches built, to see people's lives changed, to see the poor cared for. These are all kingdom opportunities. So there's consecration, care, and kingdom. Specifically with consecration with the worship of God, with our money. Since early on in the Bible, actually probably even back as far as Adam, though we don't know, certainly it looks like Cain and Abel, worship the Lord with their stuff. There's a precedent in Scripture of the tithe, we call it. That's not a word you hear. Not, it just means a tenth. Abraham, tithe. Probably, probably Abel, tithe. God's people throughout Scripture have given 10% to God. And 10% is a powerful Way, tithing is a powerful way to position our hearts in gratitude and worship to God. Where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And when we give 10%, it's worship of God. It's saying, God, this has all come from you. And now I give it back to you in worship. I give it for your purposes. It's a gift for us to worship the Lord, to enjoy Him, to see our hearts affected as we give to Him and God, God has this pattern in Scripture of 10%. And, again, we don't require as a church you to do this, um, but I have a hard time thinking of how, how we can really do this without that beginning number. It's a rule of thumb number of 10%. And I think that, for me, it keeps me honest with my giving. Because I could, just, I could argue myself down to 1% or a half of a percent and say, well, that's enough. 10% is a bar that seems a little bit high in our culture, but it's good for us because it, it, it calls us to really put these things into practice. We can say, oh, I love Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we've got to invest our money in, in, in heaven. And then we don't do anything. Or we give a half of a percent. And maybe for some of us in our situations, if we're unemployed, that is wonderful worship. That's why we don't say you have to give 10%. But for most of us who are employed, I I think the bar, I think reasonable worship, reasonable trust of God, reasonable obedience to what we're called to in Matthew 6 starts with 10%. And then there's another aspect to this too. We shouldn't do this because we're supposed to marry. 
It should be a, I get to do this. I want to do this. I want to give to the Lord. I want to be part of what he's doing. I want to worship. I want to do my best to, to start with this 10%. Because I have this invitation. Malachi 3.10, we have that verse to put up is a promise from God given to the people of God in the Old Testament, but applicable to us as well. He says, bring the full tithes. They were required to bring the tithe. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then it says this, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. The only time in Scripture where God says, test me. We're not to test the Lord here. It says, put me to the test. Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your wine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. A wonderful promise to the people of God in Malachi's time and by extension to us to give to the Lord and watch him return. And I know there's many stories in this room of folks who have given, and it's been a stretch of times, but they've seen the Lord return blessing. Uh, I can't imagine for for Peg and for me uh, doing anything but this because of the joy of it, because of the fruit of it. And so the call of God is to to use our finances for consecration, particularly walking in this blessing of the tithe. We're to use our finances for care as well. Uh, Scripture calls us to that. I've, I've touched on it. We are to save our money as well. I would think saving about 10% of our income is probably a good place to start. So we're, you, God gives us finances. He blesses us for needs, and that's good. And we're to save our money for future needs as well. That's godly. That's for the kingdom. If you have children, providing an education for them as best as you can is part of that. There's a place in Scripture, too, for celebration and feasting. So using our finances for things like that, vacations, can be very appropriate. And worship, there's that category of care. And, and we don't prescribe how that all works out. Look at the Scriptures and, and understand. There, there's latitude given, but it's to meet needs. It's to provide for the future. It's to celebrate. And I would say that as Americans, a good way maybe to, to see if we're overdoing it in that category is if we have credit card debt, serious credit card debt or consumer debt. Sometimes we are in situations that are difficult and we need to do that. I'm not saying that it's not sinful to be in debt. It's not wise to be in debt. It's not sinful. Um, but if you are employed and not, not in a special financial situation and you have credit card debt, perhaps you're going a little bit too much in the care category and buying things that you don't really need. And that's a good measure. And, and, and there are some great resources. We would love to serve you. And helping you get out of credit card debt, uh, there's a good book we have on our library by Ron Blue, Master Your Money, uh, Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. If you're in that place uh, and you can work yourself out of it, if you have a regular income, do it. We would like to help you be, to, so that you are free to enjoy giving and investing. And so curbing lifestyles, not, not having the, the 10,000 channel cable service anymore and not having the, the, that health care membership that you never go to or whatever it might be. There's probably things that can be done, not going out to eat every, every week or perhaps other things to do so that we are wise with this. Finally, kingdom. There are kingdom opportunities. There, there are opportunities beyond our regular giving, our regular tithing, our regular care and saving to invest in the kingdom. And there's all sorts of opportunities out there, all sorts of wonderful kingdom 
opportunities, wonderful, worthy causes that are out there. Uh, giving to the poor, giving to missionaries, people serving overseas, giving to worthy ministries. This is above and beyond the normal giving, the normal tithe. That, that my understanding of the tithe is it's to come into the local church for God's purposes in your church. And then beyond that, we give to kingdom purposes as we are able to. And so there's lots of worthy purposes out there. Um, and I'm so grateful for a church that is so generous, so generous in giving to causes that, that are outside of our church, that are worthy, kingdom causes, so generous in giving here as well. We have seen through the generous regular giving of folks, God's provision, so much blessing as a church. Um, we didn't exist as a church eight years ago. We weren't here. And God has used faithful giving to do so many wonderful things. It's, it's good to review and think about those things sometimes. Just think of the lives affected, folks with fresh faith and fresh joy, folks who have come to know Jesus, be, to be reconciled with God. And they're going to be with us forever. That's worth so much. There's people here that eight years ago were not reconciled to God through Christ. They were running from him, living in sin. And God, by his grace, has used us and used our finances as part of that to work in their lives, that they would come to Christ, receive forgiveness, and know God. And what joy. I mean, our joy is only in part now. In heaven, I think we're, gonna, we're just going to feel the fullness of that. They're going to be there with us, and we're going to be, can you believe it? We're here. Can you believe it? And it will all, it will all be worth it. People's lives have been blessed in so many ways. Our teens are being affected. It's been wonderful to be able to meet here now in the building. An aspect of this is your giving for our building. We are here in a new building almost a year now. Actually, it is a year this week, right? March, yeah, March 1st or whatever it started. So here we are in this wonderful building that is here because of God's grace and your faithful giving. And think of the ways that we're seeing the fruit as a result. How they, We don't need, and, and for our guests, um, so you know, and, I, and we've said this again and again with our, our members, we don't need a building to be the church. The church is not a building. We don't have a building in order to be a church. We are a church. We are the people of God, and, the, and we're called to God's mission to worship Him, to walk together, to witness to Him in word and deed to the greater Haverhill area and beyond. But this building serves that mission oh so well, and it is such a blessing for us. How it's a blessed us to be here on Sundays, to have a home, to worship together, to be in a community where we are, we are incarnating the life of Christ as a people. Our building more and more in the month of March, actually, I think almost, almost every Friday or Saturday is booked for community causes that are worthy causes, uh, and, and that's exciting. Our, our youth fellowship is able to meet here. We're doing Alpha. We're seeing God use... Alpha, bless people's lives through that. Uh, we have many, many visitors. It's just, it's just wonderful, wonderful kingdom opportunity here for us in this building. And we as, we, as we approach this coming year, too, for our building, let's trust the Lord together to provide, and let's participate together in the mission. So as we are able, and we're in different places Different people in the church are in different places financially, but as we are able, let us take advantage of the kingdom opportunity to invest here locally as well in, in our church and in our building. Not so that we can just have a building, so that the mission can be augmented and, and enhanced 
And God can be glorified. It's a kingdom opportunity as the band comes up as we close. Question to ask. Jesus calls us to make smart choices with our finances. We have the choice of two locations, two hearts, two lives from two focal points, and two masters. He calls us to make a smart choice. My question to us all is, how are you going to do that by grace? What would God have you do to make smart choices with your money? And some of you are already making many, many smart choices, and maybe it's to do nothing but continue. But for some of us, maybe it, the, the challenge is to trust him and take a step for the first time towards tithing. Maybe it's just half a tithe you start with, and then you go to 10. Or maybe you just jump to 10. I would encourage you to do that. Found God faithful. But maybe that's your step. Maybe for some of others, it's to start giving towards beyond that, the, the tithe and caring. For some of us, maybe we get a budget and we start reining in credit card expenses. That's a step. Be smart with our money. Maybe for some of us, though, we're ready to take the step of going beyond those things, the consecration and the care to give to a kingdom purpose. Maybe it's supporting a missionary, supporting Annie Havister, some worthy Christian ministry. Maybe it's to help with this church, with us, buying this building, finalizing that and helping us to do his work, his kingdom work here in the greater Haverhill area. Consider what God would have you do. He's good. He's gracious. He calls us to be smart with our money for all these good and worthy reasons. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for you to come and help us. Lord, apart from you, apart from having our eyes open and our minds changed, apart from seeing you, the King, and your grace, and the glory of your kingdom, we will not and cannot do these things. So we pray, Lord, that you would show yourself and you would call each of us to walk in wisdom, to make smart choices with our money for all these reasons. And ultimately, Lord, for your glory, because there's no one like you. You are good and your kingdom is glorious. We pray this in Christ's name.